The following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters. Oh, yeah. Two microphones. And one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is a Wednesday. It is a jam-packed Wednesday. It is a smorgasbord of everything. We're going to go conference expansion, SOCON, our thoughts. We'd love to hear from you after the show as well. We're going to break down Southern Conference uh, standings and uh, break out the first tier. I've talked about all the other tiers. Fans want to know what is the deal with the top three and how it's going to shake out. And I'll give uh, one of our loyal listeners of another school a lot of a lot of credit because I told him I didn't really want to do that, and he did it <laughs> and gave it to me. And I was like, you know what? I will I will give you credit. I will do this. Uh, and I'm, and that way, if it's wrong, I can also say I didn't do the math. But I, I, Brad's a doctor. Uh, I, I think he did the right math. So. Okay, so it was, it was, yeah. It, it, so we will, Brad Stone, big Furman guy. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. We will uh, give you our thoughts on the weekend, big game, how the seedings could kind of shake up because obviously the. Uh, you know, by Wednesday, by Saturday, there really some seeding things could either be more jumbled or start to take shape on what's more realistic for people. And then we're going to have Austin Gatewood. I think that's uh, a story. You know, he took the, the jump to be on the first teams and, you know, stayed, got a chance to win a championship in 18, started his coaching career, I believe, in high school, then went to Vanderbilt last couple years. And so from Vanderbilt, was actually on the sideline when ETSU beat him. So I kind of want to ask him that, not – you know, obviously he didn't want to lose the game. I think it was his first game with Vanderbilt at that time. But same token, he had to have a little bit of pride that ETSU did it. And then kind of the journey back uh, to ETSU and coaching uh, the linebackers, outside linebackers. So we're going to talk to Austin Gatewood on the mm-hmm. final segment. But I do want to open up a, a little bit different than what we've ever really done before. Uh, two awful stories, and there's really no way to, to transition from there to anything else. And I thought about ending this way, but I, I just – I don't want to end on a downer, um, but Gary Harrell, who I think a lot of people know, General Harrell, uh, around ETSU, he graduated uh, 73 ROTC, ROTC uh, Hall of Fame, 35-year veteran. Uh, people aren't really familiar with Gary Harrell and, and some of the things that he did in his career. He was actually wounded in a mortar attack uh, that is documented in a book and later in a movie called Black Hawk Down. So if you've seen Black Hawk Down, his uh, character uh, is him. There is a character, I should say, that is portraying him in the actual book and movie. And so uh, General Harrell was a part of that. Uh, and again, uh, you know, 35-year uh, Army veteran, uh, big supporter. Uh, if, for a lot of folks, uh, you know, for Dan Mahoney and that group where they, where they smoke cigars, I know Coach Forbes um, had spent some time with him. I know Coach Bartow had it well. So I, I know that he was very entrenched uh, in the community of ETSU and all that. So he passed uh, at 76 years old. And then the other thing, I don't even know how or the particulars other than it was shared with me. And I spent a lot of time uh, last night talking with Mike Smith, who's a former teammate and Buccaneer 1,000-point score. A lot of people know Michael Williams, now senior. Yes. But Michael Williams senior, uh, him and his wife had been documenting, trying uh, all the, the shots and everything to try to have a second child. They had, they had a first child, Micah Jr., and uh, 
they had put out uh, several months ago that they were finally blessed. They were going to have a second child. And um, I guess it was a couple days ago, Mike mm-hmm. and his team won the district championship at Webb School. So he's celebrating yeah. that, and everything seems to be going in the right direction. And then, unfortunately – he posted yesterday, and because I, I don't I don't know a lot, so I, I just I'm just going to read what what he posted. That Titus Ty, they were going to call him Benton Williams, uh, went to be with Jesus on February 13th. He was one pound eight ounces. I think he was due in June, so mm-hmm. born premature. Um, and obviously, uh, for Micah, his wife Holly, and his son Micah Jr., um, you know. They said text, messages, cards, all that's appreciated. If they're back getting slow to you, I think is a buck nation. That's about as heartbreaking as anything I've heard, being a father of three and um, having that. And there's no real way. And, you know, I've tried to reach out to some of his former teammates that maybe didn't know. Uh, because he said he that that stuff is appreciated and all that. If he wanted to keep it quiet, I certainly would not have done that. I would not be doing that right now. But I do feel like there are a lot of folks that remember Micah Williams very fondly, uh, integral part of a couple of championship teams and a very successful high school coach that's had a couple of different stops at his uh, alma mater of Coffee County and then now at the Webb School. Mm-hmm. So obviously thoughts and prayers to the Harrell family and thoughts and prayers to Micah Williams and his wife Holly for something that I can't even imagine. And I know this is not the way we normally um, – come on a podcast because we, we full of energy and everything else and we, we will pick it up we will um, do some things but I just thought I would share uh, you know a great man in Gary Harold that I've had time to spend um, a lot of time with talking military stuff and it's been a lot of years riding on a bus with Michael Williams and getting to know him and certainly uh, feel for him and his family as they try to, to cope move on and, and understand what what whatever just happened especially if you followed their journey with all the different you know shots and medical procedures and the costs that they went into to try to have a second one to then just have this happen certainly uh, uh, awful news for a buck today so I'm just going to leave that all there um Buck Nation, well said. Well you, said. You know what to do. He's got social media. You, you outpouring. I've not seen. Uh, a couple people have asked if there's a you know GoFundMe or anything they could do to help. I've not seen anything like that. If we do, yeah. uh, I'll make sure he's okay. Which I would assume he's okay with me sharing that. I will share it with everyone uh, if we get any more information. And if you're a Buck fan or or somebody that's closer to Micah than, than I am currently right now, and you have more information, please share it with the rest of Buck Nation as we would like to uh, uh, you know try to help him and his family in a time of need so that's a tough way to start the show there's not an easy way uh to transition uh into what we're going to talk about next uh which which is is going to be a little bit more fun and debating debatable i don't what what, i think how fun it is is probably debatable for some people well that too that too uh we're going to talk conference expansion so conference realignment whatever are we realigning are Uh, you realigning all conferences some people could be realigning are you realigning are we you, are we are anticipating conference realignment as many people are, right? You okay. see the reports from Brett McMurphy and others that the Pac-12 is closing in on the completion of a media rights deal, that San Diego State and SMU could potentially have a role in that in the in the completion of that media rights deal or deals, and that it's you know SMU is kind of a weird fit, but it's more of an inventory play, and that that is potentially the end. Of power five realignment 
for the time being until the next round of TV contracts starts to be negotiated and you look at, okay, how can we find ways to jumpstart our revenue pools? At which point, I don't know, the SEC goes after Florida State or something. But, uh, you know, they, they could. It's just, it's, that's something that's probably 10 to 12 years away at the earliest. So there's movement. We are coming to the end of Power 5 realignment. There will be some Group of 5 realignment as well. There has already been FCS realignment, and there could potentially be more, as you see the OVC and the Big South and the A-Sun and the WAC have all kind of been in the crosshairs of uh, uh, other conferences who are looking to infuse new membership into their own ranks. And those leagues are somewhat depleted. They're patchworking football championships together. And just by virtue of holding together, the SOCON has found itself in a position of relative strength and also now can negotiate with schools from a position of strength with a new commissioner coming in on June 30th. And I think an understanding that the landscape has shifted in such a way that in order to alleviate a lot of the stressors on the conference, the conference may need to expand by at least two to four members is our rationale. Uh, and Jay and I are on the record. We have both said at many times uh, to the point that people would probably just roll their eyes every time we say it. The SOCON needs to expand from our view. And we decided, I put together, I've had a spreadsheet that has gone through multiple iterations over the last uh, 10, 11 years that uh, has a list of teams on it that I think would be suitable targets and somewhat realistic targets for the Southern Conference. Jay has come up with his own list because I kind of caught him by surprise with this last week and he wanted time to prepare. So we're doing it now. And uh, yeah, we've got groups of schools sorted into different categories based on what kind of fit they would be and then uh, what why they would make sense. And so, Jay, you I think you kind of wanted to tee off here. I'll give you honors because you have a couple of schools that's really actually one school that would make sense for the SOCON as a football-only affiliate. And the the reason it makes the most – first of all, coming to that agreement uh, – or coming to the agreement – coming to – this list the first thing i did was go back and try to see what all was out there for actual expansion and there was legitimate talks between several schools and they're going to be on my list there was only one school that was mentioned for football only and that led me into a deep dive to try to find other maybe possible could just play football but would stay in their league somewhere else and there were a couple of teams that do that, but rather it was travel or I just didn't think it would fit. For an example, you could look at a Villanova that, that plays in one league football and obviously Big East and all the other sports, but do they want to, from Philly, travel all the way down south a lot to play? I didn't think so. Whether, you know, could you go with a Robert Morris or something and just join the Big South? And they already proved they could do it, but at their level that would just be a football only you would want. And the only football school I could come up with was Richmond. Um, because of the footprint right there in Virginia, you know, it's they're, they're close to some schools, clearly closer than where they're having to go in a lot of the CAA. Uh, it, you know, I think for the whole season, if you look at the mileage stuff, so I think Richmond, but they're not going to leave the A-10, so it would be a football only. If each, I think right. if the Southern Conference expanded and added just a football only, that is the only school to me that made sense. 
Now, I could float some other schools. I was like, well, I think it would be a great fit. I think Villanova would be a good fit, and you got Richmond, you got some other. Yes, but I don't think um, that it makes sense for anybody else. Now, I would love it if it was a package deal near. You know what? We're going to add a couple of uh, just football only, and you could throw Villanova and Richmond to the profile of the Southern Conference, and they're just thinking, well, I've only got to go four road games. and what? I mean, that would be great. I don't think – Villanova uh, would do it where I think Richmond had legitimate talks earlier uh, this summer when there was a talk of the, that SoCon may actually truly expand and they were interested enough. So I think it makes sense that if the SoCon were to invite a football only, to me, Richmond would be the top choice. If you could talk Villanova or somebody into it, trust me, I'm all in. Mm. I think it's a tougher sell for Villanova than it is for Richmond. I think in general the football-only pickings are pretty slim. Richmond would be the only school I would even remotely consider. And I don't have any football-playing CAA schools on my list. Spoiler alert. I know that there have been some uh, discussions in the past about possible membership in the SOCON for some of those schools. But the CAA just negotiated a new television contract with Flow Sports and CBS. And... Uh, from the the football side of things, the football playing schools in general have been pretty enthusiastic about that contract and the revenues that they get from it and the relative autonomy they get from it. I know the broadcast standards have not been very high at times where you had schools like JMU that would basically do like a full-on regional sports network caliber broadcast and then you'd have some schools that would just you know be a top cam and their radio call. You know, that that's changing. Flow is is asking for a higher level of standards to go with the rights fee. Um, but the SOCON is gonna have to top that. And I think purely from a football perspective, I don't know that the SOCON can, or certainly that it doesn't right now. What would change that is getting two to three games on linear ESPN networks on the next TV contract. I think would change that calculus considerably for a school like Richmond or maybe a school like William and Mary that isn't necessarily on board with some of the more recent additions to the CAA, um, you know, looks at them as schools that aren't necessarily the same kind of academic uh, prowess as maybe some of the other schools that are in the conference, like a Delaware or a Hofstra, you know, does, does, uh, does Campbell necessarily meet that same standard? I don't know. I don't know that much about Campbell from an academic standpoint. But I know academic affiliations are important to William & Mary to the point that they didn't rule out moving to the Patriot League at one point. So that is uh, something that would be interesting to me. But I just don't know that the TV deal is enticing enough to get them to make a move from that conference based solely on football because the CAA right now whether it's better than the SOCON or not, is being afforded considerably more respect in football than the Southern Conference is nationally, and that leads to a better likelihood of getting an at-large bid. So I don't know that there are really any football-only schools that, that entice you uh, to, to make that jump or are likewise enticed to make that jump just because the logistics of it so, don't necessarily work. Just because you brought up CAA. So I had a few on my list, and the reasoning I did, and I did consider the contract – but a lot of the CAA schools, from what I'm hearing, are upset, not necessarily for football or basketball, but all those other sports that they play mm. have to find hotel rooms in New York City, in Boston, in Philly, and all these towns, and it's eating up so much budgets 
that they are struggling because they're having to fly a lot more than what they would like. Right. And they're having to pay for hotels in those cities as opposed to a hotel in Cullowhee or, you know, in uh, Greenville or Spartanburg or Johnson City. Right. Um, and so, excuse me, and I think there are some options being, which is why I know they tried to sweeten the, the TV deal to try to help with some of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering what is the cost savings for a lot of those teams if they're not having to catch all those flights for the volleyballs and tennises yeah. and everything else. Now, to your point, um, I do have a couple of non-football CAA schools on my list. But the football-playing okay. schools, in my opinion, will sit tight. Um, but when you look at the landscape, it's clear. I mean, the CAA add, did not add North Carolina A&T and Campbell to the conference um, for their basketball prowess. They, they did not bring them in. Um, to be part of the conference because they're really good at hoops. Uh, There have been several additions to the conference that were not added explicitly because they were good at basketball, but because they needed needed numbers. They wanted numbers for, I don't know if it was an inventory thing with Flow Sports or what. But it's clear that the priority of the CAA is football right now. And to that end, I would wonder... How do UNC Wilmington and College of Charleston feel about that? And so those are two of the three non-football schools in my tier one. And I think from a a television standpoint, the basketball aspect of it is a little bit more of a wash. The CAA gets CBS Sports Network for, I think it's like 11, it's like 10 or 20 games a year, somewhere in that range. And then... The semifinals and the championship. Well, the semifinals and the championship, the SoCon are on the linear ESPN networks, I believe. Yeah. Uh, the championship games on ESPN. The ESPNU, the, I think, has the semis. Yes. And then you have a number of games that are going to be on ESPNU. I think one or two games are on ESPN2 for the SoCon this year. So you get, honestly, probably better television exposure just for basketball. You're saving on travel costs. UNC Wilmington, I feel like, might be pretty enthusiastic about that. The reason I would caution against College of Charleston is... What I want to know is how much do they recruit off the East Coast? It's a public school in the heart of Charleston, South Carolina, but it kind of behaves like a private school. I wouldn't blame you if you thought it was a private school just from its name. Uh, but how much is that school recruiting Northeastern students out of Boston, out of New York, out of Philadelphia to come south and how much does that matter to their enrollment strategy? I think from a pure athletic standpoint, it's a pretty straightforward, beneficial move to return to the Southern Conference. Also, there could be some hurt feelings from the last time they were around. I think there was something about uh, saviors of the SOCON last time they joined or something like that. But uh, if the Cougars and uh, the Seahawks, I believe is UNC Wilmington's mascot, if they were to rejoin or if they were to join the SOCON, the SOCON takes... Easily the biggest leap in men's basketball that it possibly could. Both of those schools, I believe, have men's soccer and softball, which are sports that need additional dates to try to fill in. They also have, I know Charleston has baseball, I believe Wilmington has baseball as well. So that would help too. Um, Women's basketball as well. And and women's basketball, because those are the sports that are dealing with scheduling stress. And it's not backbreaking travel. You could probably make that one road trip if you wanted Wilmington down to Charleston and then back up the coast to wherever you are. Uh, those would be, in in my mind, those are the, the two schools that if I were putting together a list 
and certainly a list of, of uh, schools that don't play football, College of Charleston and UNCW are at the top of that list. And I, you know, I, the other school in my tier one was Winthrop. I know there's been a lot of pushback on Winthrop because there are some schools that think the Charlotte Metro is saturated for the league. Um, I think that's a massive load. Personally. Well, the, the argument is the three South Carolina schools believe that it would hurt them. I, so, again, Wofford, Wofford and, and Furman and, and the Citadel's feelings are hurt that there would be another South Carolina school. That's a, well, I mean, Which you, is funny you, because not a lot of them recruit South Carolina players to exactly. their roster for, for basketball. Right. If they mean, the, Citadel to, is a, the Citadel is a military academy. It's going to recruit pretty much the entire eastern half of the country. Yeah, and it, again, if you look at now for football, I get it. You got to fill some rosters. You need some in-state try to help with some things here and there. But for basketball, that that's really yeah, kind of the biggest laughable. And Winthrop doesn't play any football, so and it's an even shorter trip. Uh, it gives you real, like actual, honest to goodness boots on the ground in Metrolina which I think is nice to have. It's not necessarily that big of a deal for Wofford, but it could be a big deal for Sanford or Chattanooga where it's a little bit more of a, a logistical headache to get them to Charlotte to watch a kid that they might want to recruit. And and you make that part of a road trip, you build that in, and that that helps your recruiting. It's not about, oh, we have a presence in the Charlotte market, so you know that gives us more exposure or anything like that, but it allows your coaches to build recruiting trips into road trips for games so that you can just, you know, knock all of that out in one fell swoop instead of having to, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to, to Greenville and then we got to come back. And then I'm going to Charlotte to see a kid the next day and then we got to come back and blah, 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 back and forth and over and over. You can sweep all of that up into one action, so to speak. Do you feel like with the portal that the – I need to get in here at this high school, this area is as important as it used to be. I still think it is because at some point, if you just recruit the portal constantly, you will eventually run out of other people's players and you need to be able to go get your own teenagers to have something to lean back on because you're going to lose guys in the portal just as you add guys in the portal. It's not going to necessarily be an open and shut deal to go get somebody that's a fit out of the transfer portal. You have an open scholarship. You have a high school player that's fallen through the cracks because somebody else was obsessed over the portal and just missed them or pulled an offer. Kind of like what um, football had with uh, Lambert, the running back out of Brother Martin. He had an offer from Texas State. It's all indications where he was going to a Sunbelt school and then that offer fell through as there was a coaching change and uh, there was transfer portal mania there as well. So ETSU was able to benefit from that. I think you want to be in a position where you can still recruit high school players effectively and you're going to have opportunities to do that. There are going to be sudden openings that high school players are fits for and you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. Just for looking at College Charleston's roster, just to see, um, sort of has the East Coast helped them. They've got one player from New York, two from New Jersey, uh, one from D.C., and then they've got four kids from overseas, Ohio, Indiana, Minnesota, Texas, a couple of South Carolina, two, three South Carolina. So really, I, I don't – unless I'm – CAA, D.C., is there a team in D.C.? I don't think there is. 
Uh, I'd have to go back because not. Yeah. So Drexel is Philly, right? Northeastern is Boston. Right. Hofstra is New York. Yeah, I don't think there is. I don't believe there's. Yeah, because Mason, um, Washington, all of them are in different leagues. So, yeah, closest so, you got would be either Hampton or Towson. So well, yeah, no Howard. W- didn't one New it. York, two New Jersey. They got three out of eighteen on the roster that are from those areas. Right. Well, I'm not talking about necessarily like recruiting athletes. I'm talking about recruiting regular students, tuition paying. Oh, students. gotcha. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that could be something that, right. hey, you want to go be in the big metros. They've heard them before. Right. That, yeah. It's the same rationale that the Missouri Valley used when they were mooting around the possibility of UT Arlington when they added Murray State and Belmont. Was could adding UTA and all those flights to Texas, could that be worth it from a standpoint of trying to have a bigger presence in the Metro so that we can get students to pay attention to Bradley and students to pay attention to Evansville where they maybe weren't considering those schools before. That might be part of an overarching strategy for College of Charleston. I think CFC is probably more inclined to do that than UNCW is because UNCW is big in-state school. So going to play against UNCG would have more appeal to them than making four or five trips up the East Coast every year. But so, I don't know that for a fact. Well, I got you derailed. Going back to hoops, my first three choices, you'll, and again, we've not talked about this, College Charleston, Wilmington, Winthrop. So see if I was on the same page you were mm-hmm. um, if we went there. Then the next couple of hoops-only schools. Yeah, I'd say let's let's stick hoops-only. What do you got tier two? Yeah. Uh, tier two, I had uh, just more driving distance than anything looking at it, UNCA, Radford, Lipscomb. Uh, so I had a bigger tier two than you did. Um, but Lipscomb is in there, uh, UNCA, and uh, High Point. I, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by High Point. I think they're an ambitious program. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they. I mean, anybody that goes out and takes a swing and hires Tubby Smith, not that it works super great, not really. But and they got Tubby Jr. out of it. And that's they, really they got Tubby's Tubby Jr. out of it. Uh, they're getting it. They're they either just did or are working on building a new arena. Yes, um, that arena I think actually is capable of hosting an ice rink if they wanted to have a varsity ice hockey team, which I find fascinating. But uh, it's another team in the Piedmont Triad. You can pair them together with uh, UNCG. I don't really think those two schools are competing for the same kind of students in the Metro. So uh, you have an opportunity there uh, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe throws a little bit of a bone to the private schools in the sense that we're going to add teams. We're adding teams that aren't... I'm not even necessarily... With with Tier 2, I'm not looking for teams that are just unequivocally additive. Teams that can be good, but in general are not going to embarrass the SoCon. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, So I see Lipscomb program that is generally pretty respectable at worst and at its best is very good. I mean, that's a team that we were, what, the runner-up in the NIT to Wichita State a few years ago, I think it was. Yeah, they were in New York City there. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, then they lost their coach crosstown to Belmont because he was a Rick Bird disciple. So, um, well, we don't don't have to talk about that. Let's leave Casey alone. I like Casey. I, I, I like Casey too, but I just... Just saying, you know, the, the, the allure of the well, sweater already vest blasphemy, is I thought, when he left. So he took to Stetson job, and he went to Lipscomb. You're going, holy holy cow. Like, yeah. like yeah. he took the Lipscomb job. That was weird. And then all of a sudden he jumped ship again. And then they ended up trading because I think the long another longtime Belmont guy took over at Lipscomb. So um, I had high point in my Tier 3. Who else yeah. you got? Um, I also had North Florida and Jacksonville in my Tier 2. Jacksonville's a little bit more of a stretch. 
Um, I don't know that they necessarily want to come this far north. North Florida has ambition. I think it's a school that could potentially grow into football a little bit, and they've been competitive in men's hoops. Uh, it's an opportunity to have a presence in the Jacksonville Metro, where I believe ETSU has a fair number of alums, if we, I'm not mistaken. We did. So I think outside of the state of Tennessee, it's Atlanta, then Jacksonville, yeah. and then uh, Charlotte. Those so, are the top uh, three. Again, I mean, North Florida, you're not going down to Miami. You're not going down to Tampa. It's not – that big of a reach if you're already going to like Macon to go down there. Um, I think it's a worthwhile market to have a presence in from an alumni connection standpoint, from a uh, boots on the ground recruiting standpoint. Those things are valuable and you should be able to um, you should be able to reap the benefits of that. With even, even if it's just one of those schools, if you add both of them and you make it into a weekend like we used to do in the A-Sun, okay, sure, great. Uh, but that's something that could have value and also expand the footprint of the Southern Conference. The North Florida also spent a lot of money to redo their arena. They now got a new center-hung scoreboard. So they pumped some money into that. Yeah. The one thing about North Florida that always throws you off is that they, they – I think they do their kids a little dirty. They, you know, they will play the eight power five games, and they were the first to really start the play Michigan State 7.30 at night on a Friday and Michigan at noon. <laughs> you know, Florida State at 7 o'clock and 2 o'clock the next day, and they will do these road trips, and, and they'll play – and the, and it funds the whole program, and it's the way that they do it, and they've always done it. I would love to see UNF not do that because it's hard for Joe Blow fan to look at them and go, oh, my gosh, they've – you know, uh, they're 14 and 14. Well, yeah, well, they're really like 14 and 6, you know, right now because they have eight power five losses to – and. Six of them are top twenty-five teams. So yeah, I I, I I don't like that aspect of it. But Lee Moon is now no longer the AD as he's trying to help the the Sun whack and their football endeavors and all that fun stuff. So I don't know what the new um, athletic director will mandate. But I like Matthew Driscoll. I like the arena. Yeah. I liked it before they redid. It. Now they uh, redid it. Robert Harper, our silent reporter, was at North Florida for for six years doing play by play, and he right. actually showed me a bunch of pictures this past weekend of the new arena. And we watched a little bit of their game mm-hmm. against Stetson. So um, I would, yeah, I think North Florida would be good. Jacksonville, I mean, unless they're playing in downtown Coliseum, Swisher Gyms and a right. dismal abomination. Exactly. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah, they'd have to be playing downtown at the Coliseum, and yeah, it's it's one that that was it was borderline for me, but I put them in there because. I kind of, again, you know, it's one of those, this is going to be political. When you expand, it's going to be political. And I don't mean like left versus right political. I mean public schools versus private schools and what they want. They're different interests and their interests are very different. And especially the interests of the private schools are very different and very eccentric relative to the public schools. Um, so they want specific things out of expansion. They, they're not necessarily worried about, uh, I don't think, uh, the caliber of competition. That, that they get. They're worried about other specific priorities. Um, could Jacksonville be a mechanism to appease those private schools to uh, induce more expansion that adds more impactful, more beneficial teams? Jacksonville as part of a larger deal could maybe work. Uh, but they were kind of borderline tier two, T3 because I don't really trust their finances. Right, you don't trust their financial commitment I, yeah, to the yeah, I didn't, to, I didn't, to athletics. I didn't like that, but they've got women's basketball again. They've got uh, yep. you know softball, baseball, uh, and they're good at softball and baseball. Yeah, and and, that, and that's the other thing is like some of the teams we're talking about, like you know, College of Charleston was in the Southern Conference. I mean, they were an at-large team pretty much the 
the whole time they were there, uh, almost guaranteed. Winthrop's been an at-large team. North Florida's yep. been an at-large team. Yep. So there, there's a, a lot that could be added to, in those sports as well as, as some of those are pretty good at softball as well too. Yes. Do you have any more Tier 2? No, I have Tier 3. I'll go ahead and do this because these are schools that I just – there's a question mark somewhere. Yeah, these are right. still hoops only, just for those. These are still non football, okay. non football, yep. right? right? These, these, and and it's not even necessarily that the that the the teams are not that good. It's just I don't trust them to be consistent, or they don't have the money, or they don't have the facilities, or they don't have a market, or there's there's some major red flag, or possibly multiple red flags with these schools. Okay. Um, the first choice tier three is Morehead State. Uh, then it's then I've got Radford, Presbyterian, USC Upstate, Longwood, and Queens. So, all right, say it again because I, I had a couple of the same. I I had uh, I passed on Moorhead. I did have Radford. Yep. I Pres- had Queens as third tier. Presbyterian, USC Upstate, Longwood. Basically, if we were desperate to fill a spot. Yeah, I uh, and I passed on Longwood. I debated on for a while, and I ended up passing on the two programs these are not programs that i would trust over the long haul yep to not bottom out and be in the 320s in the in the net basically yeah i i mean out of all those radfords has the most success but a lot of that was with mike jones who's now at unc who is no longer there yep so uh yeah that's yeah again my tier three was um radford high point unf so um Mm-hmm. Football now, I, I went with five. Um, three, uh, I went with um, there were CAA, which you've 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 tried to blow that out of the water for me. But I went <laughs> William and Mary, Elon Campbell uh, were three that I would talk to, and then Austin P. UNA. E- Elon. Elon. Mm, I that. I crossed out Elon early because of the stuff I talked about, but also it felt like that was a nice, really nice arena. They've, they've upgraded the football. Well, facility. that was just such an acrimonious divorce when they left the SoCon to go to the CAA in the first place. I don't think you would get too much. I mean, I don't think that one moves the needle for the SoCon. And, and honestly, I just, well, they're just okay at football. I think if, if you were able to get, <clears throat> I mean, I think if the, Lee could have followed through with what was the original plan, which is Richmond and football. College of Charleston would fill all the other slots. Mm-hmm. William and Mary and Elon. And they that was the schools that there was legitimate talks down the road to the point where the, the buyouts were going to be paid. There were serious consideration. The William and Mary, Elon adds a little bit to the VMI, North Carolina Greensboro complaints of not having teams around them, cut down travel, adding all the other sports. Because the other thing is adding sport. This is not a simple, let's just find, um, for a lot of people in your head, it's football, men's basketball. No, there's a lot of other sports yeah. that need to be expanded to to be thought about when they do that. Um, the footprint of that, because basically when they added Mercer and when they added Samford and ETSU back, a lot of that talk was because Chattanooga was off on an island over there. Yeah. And they've made a lot of noise. Well, now VMI and and Greensboro are kind of like, oof, all these people have a lot, and we're kind of way over in here in this area. So if you could add some of those, whether that's Campbell, whether it's Elon, whether it's Bill and Mary, that that would be where they would be looking to add. And I started there. And then the other ones went out west in Tennessee and Austin P. 
And then yep. UNA would be one that I think is not really keen on the FBS jump that everybody's wanting to jump on. Mm-hmm. That would also travel-wise, or if you were able to get pluck one from North Carolina and one from Virginia, then you jump into North Alabama, you jump into Tennessee, you've kind of expanded, but you've given some more travel partner type looks to teams. That's where I was going with that thought process. Yeah, I, I understand that. I just feel like the way that Elon left and the terms Elon left on, I, that would be tough for some people to swallow. And it might yeah, be but a lot of those people aren't here anymore. That's true. Uh, I mean, That's true. And, That's I mean, true. If Richard Johnson retired at Wofford, he would be one of the last standing people that was – there, I mean, Jeff Capes has been in league 32 years. But for the league, I mean, Jeff would be the only one that understood that. The rest of the league, the only AD that's around that would have any remote understanding of that is Richard Johnson. So, uh, And presidents, all the presidents have turned over since then. Uh, my tier one includes a team that you crossed out of your list. So we're going to go back and forth here. Okay. Um, because I don't think that what you think is going to happen is going to happen. Okay. Eastern Kentucky. Number one team in any sport on my list. Uh, they are so – they have tried to go FBS. They have tried. That's, been, that's important. Tried is the and active And they are word. still going to try. But they're not going to get it. I don't know. Western I mean, Kentucky – I didn't what, think all these other schools would get it either. Here's the deal. No, th- th- there's there's politics to this. Okay. There's layers to this. Tiramisu. Tiramisu. Um that's a Macklemore reference. I don't. That probably went completely over your head. I'm sure it went. I'm sure somebody caught it and it made them very happy. Um, Eastern Kentucky wants to be an FBS. They yes. want to join Conference USA, which is the only conference that's seriously looking at FCS schools at this time. Western Kentucky is in Conference USA, and despite what they may say on the record, Western Kentucky does not want to be in a conference with Eastern Kentucky, and. Even though they're traditional rivals, right? They don't want it. They don't want to be in a conference. They wanted to join the Mid-American Conference, but they needed a running mate, and Middle Tennessee was going to be that running mate, and then Middle Tennessee got cold feet. So Western Kentucky is stuck. Them and Louisiana Tech, they're best buddies because they're both stuck in conferences they don't necessarily want to be in, um, but they are going to push back on Eastern Kentucky and they will put a spanner in the works of that move unless somebody with a, a sizable bankroll ameliorates their concerns. Is that even the right word? Uh, mollifies their concerns. Uh, I, I hope you're not asking me. Yes. And you're not looking at me, so that's good news. Uh, ameliorate would be a good, uh, an appropriate way to say that. Yeah, Ameliorate or mollify Western Kentucky's concerns. And even then, I don't think they're going to want to do it. So Eastern Kentucky is stuck in a situation where they're in a conference that's falling apart and the conference above them that they want to be in has political pushback on putting them in and they're not desperate enough to go get EKU. So EKU's looking for a new home. They bring a fantastic fan base. I know Roy Kidd Stadium is old. It is old, 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 but they fill it. And that sort of game day atmosphere is a big ad for the SoCon. Their fan base is a big ad for the SoCon. They're not a complete joke in men's hoops. Uh, They bring baseball. They bring, I believe, softball as well. Um, And obviously women's basketball also because every school except VMI and the Citadel in Division I fields a women's basketball team. So um, adding them, in my mind, 
is the biggest home run the SoCon could hit in conference realignment. Yeah, I, I'm so down on them because I think use a lot of ifs and things there. The one thing we both agree on is that if given an opportunity, they would stab their mother to get in the league. I wouldn't disagree with that, but so, I also don't think anybody's going to give them a knife. If, again... To, to use your analogy. Agreed. If there is... Uh, West Kentucky wants to be in the MAC desperately. At some point in time... If there's another shift, right, you know, whatever, this SMU, all this other stuff, there's going to be a shift again. And I think sure. it'll be many. I don't think it's going to be large. But there's a very few teams that are ready to hop and go, and I think West Kentucky's clearly one of them. And I think they will go. And the second they will go, EKU will backfill something. So I think if you take EKU, you're, you know you're on borrowed time. Whether that's two years, whether it's ten years, I think it's probably closer to if it's ten or fifteen years, but also if ten or fifteen, if it's if it's over ten, worth it. If it's I agree. If and, it's and two to three, I, I again, why did you waste your time? And again, they are openly shopping themselves. Still, it is even where they're at now. They are openly trying to court somebody. So to me, if you don't want me, I don't want you. I think it's that's that's my belief. I think an alliance of convenience is still valuable for the conference. And you're going to collect a $2 million. That's, that's what the ASUN thought, too. You're going to collect a $2 million exit fee from them if they do ultimately leave, if they join the conference. And maybe you could kick in a poison pill where if they leave in the first five years, it's an extra $500,000. The Summit League did that with uh, Denver and Omaha when those schools joined the conference. Because Denver has made no secret of wanting to be in the WCC. It's like, okay, well, our buyout's a million bucks, but if you leave within a certain period of time, it's an extra 750000 And Omaha, I think, was possibly being courted by the Horizon League at one point. And that was another one that they were like, hey, if you leave, it's another 750000 bucks on top of the $1 million. They, so if you put a poison pill in the membership agreement, then maybe Eastern Kentucky decides, well, we're here, we're committed to this, um, and, and at least do it for 10 years. And at that point, I think it was worth having EKU in the league because they give you some infusion of elevated football profile from having a a team that can consistently be set, is going to consistently have a winning record, right? Uh, it might only be six and five, but they're going to consistently win and that could in be, football. That could be who blinks first. That could be the league saying, we're only going to take you if you agree to this, and then they're going to sit there and probably say, well, we're not doing it if you put that in there. And they're they're going to wait, and they're going to twiddle uh, their thumbs, uh, and Central uh, Arkansas is going to get to go to CUSA, and uh, then uh, Tarleton State's going to go to CUSA, and Austin is going to get antsy, and some, you know, maybe you play a game of chicken, you dangle it, because Austin P was my other tier one. Yeah, Austin, no, Austin no, P was I'll, my other tier I'll, one. I'll, I, oh, we can. Who else you got? West Kentucky. Because I don't know we're going to saw or East Kentucky. EKU and Austin P are my so, tier one. I like, Austin P is on my list. I think they fit a lot of uh, boxes. A little bit out west footprint, but again, you know, I'm, I'm playing a world where I, I get to pick and play commission and yeah. invite people here. And the league they're in now's got a lot of question marks of things Same, going on. Yeah. So if you were able to add three or four, I think and they Austin say, P yeah. would jump. I think Austin P would jump at that. Um, unless they're living in a world where, you know, Missouri Valley basketball or something would take them and every other sport and they could play football and something else, which I don't think is going to happen. The one thing the Nashville Predators can't build for them and hand to them 
is conference stability. So, so yeah, I agree. So yeah, I, I think that's what because the Predators went in. I think went in like at sixty forty with them on that arena. That so building. so in my me playing the fantasy guy of of what I would like. Let me just start there. Unless you want to jump. Let's finish tier one, tier two, and then let tier me one, yeah. and then let me tell you what I would love. So my tier two, mm-hmm. North Alabama. I've got them. Gardner Webb. I do not have them. North Carolina Central. Oh, that's a good one. I didn't think about. Yeah, that's a good one. And Norfolk State. Norfolk State, not as good at football, but it's a big market. It's a place you want to be. And Been pretty also, good at basketball the last several years. Well, I was gonna say, Norfolk State has something that eight of the ten teams in the Southern Conference do not have. You know what it is? Water. An NCAA men's basketball tournament win in the 21st century. Mm. Mm. ETSU doesn't have it. Uh, I believe the only ones to do are Wofford and Mercer. I mean, ETSU has at least a little bit of Norfolk State because that was the Sun Bowl tournament where it was set up for ETSU to play UTEP in the final because mm-hmm. they thought ETSU would beat Wyoming, which they did by drum. But Norfolk State threw a monkey wrench into that by knocking off UTEP. Yeah. So ETSU fans should and, remember and again, that. I think those those uh, the the MEAC schools. I think they're pretty central. I tell you what. Let me say this. Yeah. I, 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 uh, having to go play in our again, ETSU had two great basketball games with North Carolina Central. One in Freedom Hall. And then uh, one. I'm at their a big place. Lavelle Moton fan, and I just think he in is general, unbelievable. He's, he's done a great job with that program. I know the the wins and losses haven't always been there, but it does feel like the culture's there. Uh, the football program's been pretty good. People won't play yeah. him, and and we talked yeah. about that. He was so happy um, that ETSU agreed to a home and home. And I know because uh, the first year he played, Coach Bartos last year played in Freedom Hall, and it yep. was a buzzer beater type situation. Then. Um, Coach Forbes went up there. That was a game where A.J. Merriweather ended up breaking his thumb, diving on a ball out of bounds, but the Bucks had to escape like a three-point win. And he mm-hmm. talked to me after the game and both those um, just about how happy he was to do that and the fact that we were able to play him and how tough it is. But just the genuineness of him just talking to – I could see why people love him and want yeah. to play for him, and he is one of the things and maybe one of the, the – worst kept secrets in college basketball I think guys like him and he's had a chance to leave and hasn't and and he's been asked to do a lot with not very much you know but being in that facility I think it that would be a good ad I I I did not consider them they weren't on my list Mm -hmm. but now that you have said that that is a, a team that I could get on board with that that I I I think would be a good fit I think you know for what they do so Let's transition from there because I don't know how long we're going here. I got I got uh, a quick tier sorry. three if you want it. I didn't have any tier three in football. Uh, tennis. Uh, this is again. These are kind of like you know desperate times, and, and that's why I didn't. But go ahead. Yeah, UT Martin, mm. Howard. Mm. I just don't know how committed they are to athletics. I, I mean, I love the academic profile and the DC market and all that, but uh, Tennessee Tech, Tennessee mm. State, Charleston mm. Southern, and South Carolina State mm. because mm. they're all out there in potential. But also, I think I vomited in my mouth. On all if we, if we, if if the SoCon added those, it um, it better Oof. be part of a much bigger addition. At that point, yeah, they're one of six teams being added or something. I think a lot of CAA schools probably reacted to Campbell the way that you reacted to some of these. We've never been to Campbell then. Great facilities. Oh, it's great facilities. 
But I just don't think I think some of them just don't want to go to Bowie's Creek. Yeah, it, it's which is a one stop light it's town. It's fifteen minutes from Raleigh. You can stay in Raleigh. You don't have to stay in, but you can stay in Fuquay Verena. It's very nice too. But <laughs> Raleigh's like legitimately fifteen twenty minutes away, so you don't have to stay in the one micro tail they have there the in Bowie's Creek. It's a micro tail. Unless it's changed, there's one micro tail, and then you have to go to Fuquay Verena. It's got a couple that. of hotels, or you got to go to Raleigh. So that yeah. means that you, you can deal with it. It's it's not that bad. It's uh, very good facilities, brand-new football stadium, all that, because they just started football like 10 years ago, uh, maybe maybe a little more than that, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Uh, Pioneer then moved up. Uh, but the basketball arena is spectacular. I, I just imagine, well. you know. And they have a little bit of tradition in basketball, not quite – uh, to the level of some of the other teams. We I, I imagine a school like Delaware or Northeastern looking at that, or Villanova, New Hampshire, looking at that and going, what's a Campbell? What's a Campbell? Where where, where uh, are we going? Are we going to camp? What Campbell? What is a cam- What is this? I wonder if they're confused when they only see one red light or no buildings. I wonder how they feel about that. Great question. Nothing is Great more question. than three stories. I don't. I don't know what they do about that. All right. Yeah. So if I had my druthers, yes. okay, I get a wave of wand, and you say, "What would you like to do?" The first thing I would like to do is get the combo deal of Richmond playing football, College of Charleston, and all the other sports. Mm-hmm. That would be the first thing I would do. Then from there, I would go Austin P. Okay, I would go UNA. So you're adding a third football school with the hoops. And then either Wilmington or Winthrop. So you're adding four schools, four, four or three football, four basketball. Mm-hmm. And then you go from the nine-team league to a 12-team league in football. And then you would have, uh, what is that, uh, 14 in basketball. Mm-hmm. And then you could figure out how you wanted to do an east-west, north-south. The, the SOCON's done that before for basketball. You know, if you double round robin, you could probably double round robin in women's basketball. I guess you could in men's basketball, depending on if all the power fives continue to go to 22 game schedules. Yeah, it gives you the ability to also go uh, 20 plus games in that, or some sort of hybrid deal where you would play it was at 12 in the north south, whatever or pods or whatever you want to do there. If you play 12 and then you could add another, so you get to 18, 20, you can figure it out. But to me, if you went 14 teams, you did that combination, that would be, if I could wave a wand, that's what I would do. What would you do if you could wave a wand? Uh, College of Charleston, UNC, Wilmington, Eastern Kentucky, and Austin P. And if you have to replace EKU with North Alabama in 10 years, fine. Yeah. I, North Alabama might be better suited to the SOCOM by that point. I, I, Again, it's it, in reality. It, I would take that. I mean, what I, I'd love, we'd right. love it. That's what I'm saying. I I would not. I would not hate on that. I would not do what I. No matter what I said about East Kentucky a minute ago, if you're telling me, hey, a new commissioner came in and first order of business is not this year, but the next year, boom, that's happening. Sign me up. I would. I would be for that. So, yeah. All right. Now, I, I don't know what the fans want or what they were expecting out of that segment, but we gave them whatever we want. We're going to talk a little SoCon because we've gone a long time. Yeah, let's just do it. Well, that's just who we are. We're realignment degenerates, so we took our time. I, Jay, I have the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet is open. You, you see, like, look, look at this. Real close. I know. I know. You've, you've done a lot. You've done a lot. I was prepared for all right, so I'm going to give Brad Stone credit, okay? Dr. Okay. Stone, big big Furman guy. Him and Evan were, were texting back or, or directing back, whatever this thing is on the on the 
Twitter thing between people. Direct message, is that what it's called? DMs. DMs, yeah. DMs. Okay. It went down in the DMs, yeah. So I love that he led with, I know you don't like multidimensional calculus. That is correct. <laughs> if there's nothing, I'll say this. You know Brad's a loyal listener when he hit me with that. So, yes, and Brad, I will give you credit here on the podcast. But he basically said, I took the time. Uh, to break this down for you as far as the top three teams because we've spent a lot of time on all the others. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he did He did the credit. Uh, he also mentioned that he has his seats for the game coming up uh, with Sanford, Furman, and then also he's got his tickets for Asheville, which you can get if you need tickets to the SOCON tournament. Yes. ETSU. Uh, you can call 439-ETSU, 439-3878, or go to etsutickets.com. Yeah. Oh, Mike DeRocher will take care of you one way or another. So, Furman wins out. They're the number one seed because they would hold the tiebreaker versus Sanford. Uh, they would be 2-0. and They split with Greensboro. If Furman were to lose to Sanford and Sanford loses to UNCG, then UNCG would be the top because everybody's 1-1 versus each other. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me take that back. Sanford loses UNCG, one seed, the top three. They were 1-1 in each other. The next highest-rated team is Western Carolina, which did beat Furman, so that would take them out, and then Wofford beat Sanford, and right now UNCG is not lost to those, although I think they got a game to play. Yeah. Um, UNCG's uh, remaining opponents, right? Chattanooga, Western, ETSU. So then Sanford obviously uh, would have a chance to be the top seed, uh, which I mentioned a second ago, I guess, if they mm-hmm. beat Furman, right? So they would be the top seed there. Of the top three, they can lose any games, but if you believe in the old Ken Palm rating, Furman's remaining games, 80%, 87% chance of winning against Citadel, 90 ETSU, 90 Mercer. Yep. UNCG has a 55% winning uh, percentage at Chattanooga, 82 against Western, and only 67% uh, at ETSU. And then Sanford, 81% against uh, VMI, 45% against uh, UTC, and uh, for some reason he wanted to give me the, the Sanford Furman percentage. I don't, I don't know why he didn't can palm that for me. Yeah. Uh, now, does that, UN, that UNCG at Chattanooga is interesting because I feel like that doesn't – there's not really a way to explicitly account for the absence of Jake Stevens, right? Uh, yes, correct. And yeah, I will I, say um, – I did check uh, because people have asked, you know, because do what do we know about Jake Stevens? And I was told early that it wasn't as bad as they thought and he was progressing. Uh-huh. But talking to a few people, they don't seem to be hopeful that he would play before the SOCON tournament, and they're still not sure if he would be able to go in the SOCON tournament. And I will say, um, uh, talking to Gene Henley uh, a little bit about – Chattanooga the other day he thought that they're really starting to kind of come in their own and figure out life without Jake and he feels bad for Jake and I don't, I don't want to try to put every kind of words in his mouth but he, I think he was of the opinion hey you know if he comes back for a couple games but disrupts what they've been doing and it feels bad for the kid because it's a senior year I'm sure the kid right. wants to come back and play but I think he feels better about Chat just kind of moving on without him and trying to play we'll see kind of he, you know. And they crushed Mercer in the second half. Yes. Crushed them. I mean, they're playing uh, – well, right now, Furman is playing the best basketball of anybody in Southern Conference, and I don't think yeah. it's close. I yeah. think they are clearly hitting all cylinders, you know, and they're hitting the stride mid-February, so yeah. it's perfect if you can keep it up going into the conference yeah. tournament. UNCG, as we said, you know, I mean, Furman's won eight in a row. Then you're talking about the next two teams, no shock, Sanford, UNCG, each four-game win streaks, but they do it different ways. 
you know, Sanford a little bit more up and down scoring. They got Quez kind of in the groove now. UNCG wants to muck it up, and I know they scored 90 against ETSU. That's not normal. They're going to win with defense. Right. They're going to be allowed right. to play. Right. And I've still not got – and SoCon John, where's my stats, man? I gave you like two, three weeks. Let's, let's, I'm, I'm going to send him another message. Like, i got to get my stats on that. Western Carolina at 7-7, seven and seven, right? Then you're talking Chattanooga ETSU, but the Western ETSU game is going to be huge um, tonight as we record this on a Wednesday for seating purposes, for mm-hmm. who's going to go where. Uh, I mean, a lot of games tonight. I, I, Mercer Wofford is the other one. They're, they're, and I'm not trying to downplay UNCG Sanford because clearly Furman, everybody has a, a, a kind of – keen eye on what's going to happen there yeah um chattanooga should roll vmi um Furman, and i you know poor jake stevens not going to play in that one he's going to be back in lexington i'm sure seeing some of his buddies i wonder if somebody's a if he would have hit a game-winning shot would there have been a, a cadet that would have jumped on, on the floor <laughs> and tackled him like the citadel i'm going to say no i'm going to say probably not no, i agree no. probably not um Three big games. The biggest one's obviously UNCG Sanford for the national perspective of who's going to get the, you know maybe the number one seed and a chance to improve uh, you know their nets. Although we're, Southern Conference not going to get anybody in at large. The other two games is Mercer Wofford and then ETSU and Western because ETSU Western Chat's going to beat VMI. They're going to go to seven and eight. Is it going to be a three way tie at seven and eight or is Western going to stay a game above Chat? ETSU falls. And then they're going to be tied with either Wofford Mercer. And if you're a Buck fan, you need Wofford to win that because you hold the tiebreaker. That, that's all I'll say there. Uh, I mean, it's pretty simple math. ETSU beat Wofford twice. Mercer beat ETSU twice. If the Citadel drops again, they would fall to 4-11. and 11. VMI, I think, is going to go to 1-14. So, you know, UNCG Sanford, that kind of gaggle right up there at the top is going to take a little bit more shape um, from where it is. But that middle pack – those five teams, Western, Chatty, TSU, Wofford, Mercer, will have a lot of separation, or it'll be jumbled even more uh, coming up because you could have, I guess in theory, right, there'll be a, there could be a three-way tie either way. If ETSU wins, then Western, Chatty, TSU would all be a seven and eight. If ETSU loses, then Western, uh, they would win. They'd be eight and seven. Again, I think Chat's going to win. They're seven and eight. ETSU at six and nine would be tied with either Wofford Mercer, and the loser of that is going to be a game back of both. So uh, tonight's games are huge. Yep. On Saturday, UNCG goes to chat. That's a sneaky game for for, for Greensboro coming off Sanford, yep. and both road games, right? So they go to Sanford, to chat. I you know I could see a little concern on how Chattanooga maybe has a little bit a higher percentage chance even without Jake Stevens to win that contest. Sanford's going to go to VMI, probably a bloodbath. Uh, Wofford, Citadel. I mean, Citadel does have a knack for knocking teams off at home. And I, I kind of wonder how much Wofford has left in the tank at this point of the year. You know, they've been through so much emotionally. When they came to ETSU and just got the doors blown off of them, I was like, is, is this team, team going to win another game? If they play like that, they won't. Um, so I – Wofford makes me nervous, and I feel like going to Charleston is is a tr- that that is an opportunity for them to uh, step into a very sizable pothole in their quest to not play on Friday. I mean, I would give Citadel a puncher's chance against Furman, except for the fact that Furman is just 
rolling right now. I mean, now again, um, every game's its own game, and, and, and maybe Furman has an off day, but for the most part, the way Furman's playing right now, that's the one team I feel pretty good about. Like, I, they're going to be favored the rest of their games. I guess they go on the road Sanford the last game, maybe not that one, yeah. but they're going to, you know, they, they should roll the Citadel. But Wofford, on the other hand, where they don't play particularly a lot of defense and they're going to give up a lot of shots, exactly, Citadel. Yeah. I think has a great chance to knock off uh, Wofford in that one. UNCG chat, I think ugh, it's going to be a tough one. Sanford's going to roll VMI. And then Western Mercer. So Mercer's got two games in a row where they've got a chance. And if ETSU were to knock off Western, all of a sudden Mercer knocks off Western. Now all of a sudden Western, which seemed to be pretty locked in to not playing on Saturday, mm-hmm. if you look at the records and the tiebreak scenarios, they've got a chance all of a sudden to be playing on Friday again. And I didn't think I would say that. But Western's still the one team I don't know about. Right. I, I mean, they hit a billion threes, they win. Furman did an outstanding job chasing them off the line. Yeah. 15 attempts only, three of 15. Maybe that's the way. And Claude, nobody – I can't find any information on Claude. He didn't play the last two games. Big man inside, we'll see if he's out for an extended period of time. That could be yep. very tough for Western to overcome. But, again, I can't get any information. Maybe I'll know more tonight when I get a chance to talk to Gary Ayers and Daniel Hooker. Um, you know, after, right before the game or after the game, maybe they'll they'll let it slip a little bit and I can, you know, let everybody know uh, some common knowledge uh, at that point. But if Claw's not going to go, I got some question marks yeah. on Western Carolina. And then Sunday, you know, ETSU tough task. A, no matter what kind of team they've got, they struggle down in Timmins. And right now, if there's one team you don't want to play, it's Furman, and you particularly mm-hmm. don't want to play them mm-hmm. in Timmins Arena. So. Yeah. All right, you got anything else on the SoCon men's breakdown? We can talk uh, women just on, for a half on, second. On men's basketball, uh, the only thing I'll say is uh, currently Joe Lenardi and several other bracketologists that I happen to trust um, project Furman as a 14 seed as the automatic qualifier out of the SoCon. And if they continue to win and depend on some upsets, you know, if they, could, a, they could get yeah. to a 13, right? That's kind of the magic number. When you that's get to 13, you got a, a, a good chance. That's a step up from uh, Sanford being in Dayton about a month ago. So, yeah. Well, and uh, net-wise, I think uh, Furman's only team inside 100. I think they're at 80-something. Furman so. is actually ahead of UNC Asheville in the seating. UNCA is a 15 projected to go to Denver. But, yeah, Furman would be paired up with Tennessee and a 314 in Greensboro according to Lenardi. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're giving up buzzer beaters left and right. I could see Furman having a good chance at that. <laughs> I mean, uh, you got to pick anybody else. I mean, the other side would be, uh, what, New Mexico or Clemson out of Dayton going up Ooh, against Rutgers. Boy, I'll tell you what, I'd love if uh, SoCon. If Furman could play Clemson, they would do cartwheels. Oh, man. Especially on a neutral site. Absolutely. Oh, man. Fur- yeah. I that could would see be Furman awesome. loving that. And, okay. and yeah, Fur- Furman would – Furman might win that game. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, no, I'm right there with you. Uh, yeah, no, the 13. Well, and and, and, yeah. and the best is, I guess, P.J. Hall uh, is right there from Spartanburg, mm-hmm. and so his dad played at, at Wofford, so just another yep. another kind of jab uh, uh, Furman to Wofford. So your 13s are VCU and Utah Valley in Orlando and Drake and Yale in Albany. Those are your 13s. Going up against, uh, in reverse order, Gonzaga, Iowa State, Xavier, and Indiana. Okay. 
All right, well, let's do women tomorrow because we're going to do one tomorrow. Yes, we got recap tomorrow. We'll zip through the men's stuff because we really do a lot more men's stuff on Wednesday. We'll zip through the results, quick standing, but we'll talk a lot about the women's standings, what it all means. We'll break down uh, women's Southern Conference basketball, plus set up a huge game, um, you know, as far as ETSU is concerned, Wofford, ETSU, Thursday night. Uh, so we'll do that tomorrow. Yep. Uh, we'll talk a few other things on the podcast as well. Right now, though, uh, we're going we're gonna to transition. Uh, football, new outside linebackers coach. We will talk to Austin Gatewood right now. You hit that with authority. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Well, you also, you really have to push down on it. You gotta push down on it on the instant replay. I'm not a good button pusher. No. You believe that? Yeah. Well, you're, you're not a very good DJ either. So. Well, there's, uh, yeah. That's why my, my DJ music career lasted about uh, in, yeah. six six months, maybe. In, in, that in, might in be. In gracious. the words of Big Boy, your DJ ain't no DJ. He just hit that instant replay. You're welcome. <laughs> I ate a Big Boy once. Is that what you're talking about? No, that's a burger. I was oh. talking about the rapper. Yeah, you see, again. You're... Not the rapper of the burger, but the oh, yeah, rapper you're talking. from okay. Outcast. Yeah. Remember them? I what do. Are they, what are they going to drop another album? I don't know, but they had like 19 guys, I felt like. And then no, it was two. Yeah, so it was Andre and... Andre and Big Boy. That yeah. was it? Mm-hmm. I like Andre. Yeah, Andre was great. Yeah. Andre did, so they did like, like the... Like four double... brothers, and one he and four brothers or whatever that was? Three brothers, I think, four brothers? I think he was, yeah. One of the brothers? Was it three, four? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How do we get... We get on... I don't know. We digress a lot. We do. Um... Let's so, digress into talking to another ETSU. Yes, player. let's do that. And we're going to, uh, as that was a horrible transition, what we're going to. But we already told you before we hit the bumper who we're going to talk to, what we're doing. But yeah. I want to And he start. is a big boy, right? He is. He is. <laughs> uh, it probably eats burgers, too. I, I don't know. Maybe he's vegan. We'll find out. But Austin Gatewood has a unique story. And I actually want to start with the fact that you have done something I think not a lot of people can do. You started not one, but two programs. Because in high school, right, East Hamilton, brand yes. new school, yep. able to go there. I think your dad was the yes, coach. So you he started was. a high school program, and then you thought, you know what, that was kind of fun. Let's start a college program. <laughs> so walk me through sort of uh, East Hamilton. Let's start there. Start with kind of the thought process and how it all came about and, and kind of building a high school program. Yeah, so uh, – so, my, yeah, like you said, my dad's a high school coach, uh, grew up in Udawal, Tennessee, um, right outside Chattanooga, uh, right kind of on the border of Ringgold, Georgia, and um, Chattanooga area. But anyways, we, uh, yeah, so we coached at Udawal High School from 1997 uh, pretty much to 2008, and um, kind of me growing up, grew up around, running around the sidelines, running around the facility and all that stuff, and um, uh, they Due to Udawa overcra- being overcrowded, they uh, opened up this new school right down the street. And um, at the time, he was an assistant in 2008, I believe. Uh, he wanted to get back as a head coach, and uh, it kind of just worked out. And he took that first uh, that job, the first head coaching job at East Hamilton in 2009, I believe, is when the school opened. And I was going into eighth grade, so I started middle school there. And it was like three minutes down the road, so it kind of just worked out. But um it's kind of how we how we ended up there, and you know the rest is history. <laughs> well, they always say you remember your your last game, whether it's college, high school. Talk about your college. What was your last game in high school? Last game in high school. I don't know if Austin Herring 
set this up for you or not. But I mean, I may, I may have been on a, a phone call with a guy from Tucson, if that helps you yeah, know where that, this is that, going. That's exactly. I, oh, I had a feeling. So, yep. So, last last high school football game, quarterfinals, uh, Austin Herring and the Cleveland Red Raiders, or Blue Raiders, sorry, Austin. Um, Blue Raiders knocked us out of the quarterfinals of the playoffs, and he still clearly hasn't let me forget about it or a couple other teammates. So, uh you guys were roommates too, right? We you were, and Austin. All okay. Four years. Now he can't respond here. So what's no. a good Austin Herring story? Because I don't, I don't come empty-handed with just you know I, throwing one at you. I will let you softball one right back. A lot of Austin Herring stories probably don't need to go on air. He actually said that. He actually said when you ask him, because I said, hey, this is only going to be fair, and he gave me two stories to pick from. He said, okay. hey, you can ask him that one, or you can ask him if he likes the World Series or South Park. And I didn't know where that was going, so I didn't really want to get into that. Yeah. Um, so that's a good one. What was the other one he, he well the, the or he ended your high school career. Yeah, that one. He 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 said you can, he can end the high school career, you can ask him what he likes better, the World Series or South Park, and there's a good story there. And then I said, Well, are these for air or statute of limitations? I don't know where this is going. Oh and, no. and he was like, No, no, no. He said, he said they're both are, they're both good stories, but I'll let you pick right. one. Okay. And, yeah. So the South so Park. So we're gonna story. do both. Oh, he's gonna do both. We'll I love it. South Let's Park. go ahead. It's not bad. Um so yeah, we're we had a four bedroom apartment across the across the street over there and um i'm trying to remember when the south south park used premiere i think premiered in the sometime in the fall and yep. every monday or something but the, every week they'd release an episode i don't remember when but uh you know we were four college guys in the apartment we got one living room area one tv you know so here's my side of the story so we're sitting in there me alonzo francois i don't know if you remember him right also yeah, no i know so well yep, yeah, yeah. So, so me, Zoe, and maybe even Reed Lewis, the guy who worked uh, in video and equipment here for a little bit. So we're sitting in there, and Austin was doing something in his room, I'm sure. Um, and he came out, and Austin, he can, uh, he sometimes gets in these little moods where he kind of wants to be quarterback. Uh, That's yeah, fine. Just yeah, say quarterback. He, we just get being it. Being a quarterback. So he comes out. He, uh, from what I remember, he grabs the remote and starts changing it as we're watching TV. Um, uh. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, so we kind of go back and forth trying to change the channel. Basically, he's calling the play, and you have to run the play. Exactly. That's exactly it. So, yeah, so anyways, we uh, – here and there. So, then finally, I just go in his room and turn his mattress upside down and <laughs> <laughs> take his covers off his bed, and he has like a – He's a, a neat snack. freak, right? He has a snack bowl, a bunch of like granola bars and stuff. Pretty sure I dumped them out on the ground, then came back out. So, obviously, he had to leave the room to go clean that up, and, you know, we kind of just – finished our south park episode but yeah he never forgets that one either That's how did zoe deal with that because i know zoe well yeah zoe zoe just kind of i think he was probably in shock kind of what was going on you got two kind of grown men messing up being childish with each other but um no i think he just sat back same with reed uh they're probably like what's going on and <laughs> 20 23 year old guys doing this you're like all right <laughs> All right, so we, we that's a little bit of cotton. Let's get to there. Let's okay. So yeah. you finish, you know, playing for your dad. You uh, nice high school career. Yes. Colleges. You're trying to make a decision. And I, I've tried to talk as many people as I can. When you chose ETSU, especially with what was going on, mm-hmm. talk about your decision and and why ETSU. Because again, that was not a note. Just like and maybe that had something to do with it, but why ETSU? Yeah. Um. So I didn't really. I wasn't. I didn't really have any offers coming out of high school. Um. Uh, it was either I was either going to come here um, and kind of saw it as an opportunity to kind of come make a name for yourself. You know, it's a clean slate for a new program where I was going to go walk on probably the University of Memphis. 
Um, yeah, and I figured if I was going to be walking on anywhere, try to come on here, like I said, a clean slate, uh, an opportunity to come earn something. And, um, yeah, that's kind of just how it worked out. But didn't really have um, – yeah, no. Coach, I remember I got a call from Teddy Gaines when uh, him and Coach Torbush were – and Coach Taylor as well. Those three guys were kind of putting the staff together and the team together that first year. And, um, yeah, it kind of just worked out. Came up here on a visit with my parents, fell in love with the campus and the area. And – yeah, the rest is history. Now, your dad was a coach, and you were one of the building blocks of two different programs at two different levels. When did you know that coaching was something you wanted to do after you were done playing football? Honestly, since I was a little kid. Like, really? Uh, yeah. So, like I said, I, when he was at Udawa High School and uh, East Hamilton, too, but mainly Udawa when I was younger. You know, I was running around. I was always running in the staff meeting rooms and all that when they were meeting at the weight room in the summertime. Like, my mom worked, so – me and my uh, my two older sisters, we'd always spend time at the high school, you know, running around. Uh, yeah, we're always around practice, so it's kind of something I knew I always wanted to do. And um, yeah, really, probably since I was about two years old, since I ever knew. So, do you remember uh, the video game NFL head coach? Yes, never played it. Though. You never, you never played. Oh man, I was gonna say it's like <laughs> that would have been. Like that's the kind of thing that I could imagine you just sinking hundreds of hours yeah, into. Yeah, no, we uh, no, we always played the NCAA. We always did that, and yeah. you could you could do your own coach thing and kind of start out as a coordinator and work your way up. But that's probably the closest thing to it. But I guess you had more control over the players. Right. So you're at Vanderbilt. Yes. Yeah. So that's year. It's what year three for you at Vanderbilt. Was yes. That right? So in 2019. So I finished playing here in the fall 2018. Um, like I said, I knew I wanted to GA, try mm-hmm. to get go on that track. Um, trying to find something. Couldn't really find anything coming out of here. Uh, um, the coach uh, named Tim Horton, who was the running backs coach at Vanderbilt at the time, he knew Carl Torbush, and I uh, told Coach Torbush what I was wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he had reached out to Tim Horton. Coach Horton had actually just gotten to Vanderbilt. Um, so that spring, I was taking online classes, the spring of 19, and I kind of just took a bunch of trips around uh, different schools just trying to meet people and just trying to, yeah, get my name out there. And uh, got to, drove over to Vanderbilt, drove up to Kentucky, watched them spring practice, uh, Virginia Tech as well. Um, I'm trying to think of – I think those three uh, in that in that spring, but uh, turned out Vanderbilt had a uh, volunteer operate in operations slash recruiting. So, yeah, so I just kind of bet on myself, I guess, and wanted to come take a chance, try to get foot in the door in that building. And um, and then 2020, um, we had some GAs and QCs leave, and I applied and got in school there to GA. So, so when ETS, because I think we've kind of buried the lead that uh, Austin Gatewood is now the uh, outside linebackers coach at East Tennessee State. <laughs> we were going to get there, Keith. <laughs> we were going to get there. Sometime we're going to when, get there. When Billy and or George make that phone call, hey, we want you to come back and be part of the defensive staff, was that an automatic yes, or did you have to think about it? Uh, honestly, for me, it was automatic. I, I told him, I told Coach Taylor I wanted to talk to my wife first and make sure everything was, she was fine with that. And Smart man. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's a good call. Yep, so – um, yeah, but really, I just wanted to run it by her, and I knew I was, I was so I, as I was a quality control coach this past fall, mm-hmm. um, I knew I was kind of ready to be a position coach and kind of have control of your own room a little bit, and I, I knew I, that's what I was looking for, and um, the coaches there were also uh, very supportive in that, so they knew what we, they knew what I was looking for, and yeah, as soon as I got the call from Coach Taylor, I was like, that sounds awesome, just let me run it by my wife, Carly, first, and and then as soon as I talked to her, I called Coach back and was like, yeah, let's do it. So when you say volunteer coach at Vanderbilt, what did that entail for you? What kind of restrictions are there? And 
how do you make ends meet as a volunteer trying to make it in college football? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I wasn't really even a coach really. So I was in operations and you'd help out in recruiting as well. So kind of operations. So you start in the, you start in the summer camps, you do, uh, you kind of just set up tables, pass out t-shirts, uh, run like registration lines. Um, in the fall, you're, uh, so like my job was to run the uh, the audio and the the clock at practice stuff like that, um, pass out scripts. Uh, um, let's see what else during the fall. That's uh, pre and post game meal setup stuff like that. Just trying to find a way to um, show some value. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so that's that, a lot of. It. And then uh, in the summertime, you know, uh, Coach Morrow he has he's well connected with Access Security, so. Mm. Uh, yeah, so they do a lot of shows in Nashville, so I'd try to do that um, when I had time and kind of work some shows and then um, uh, do some Uber driving. Just trying to find ways to make it make it work. Yeah. So you talk about being on the sideline for Vanderbilt. You were on the sideline when ETSU oh, no. won at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I was in the box. <laughs> so my question – or even better, you're, in the box, you're probably near me, didn't even know it. Yeah. <laughs> so my question is, you're working for Vanderbilt – but you're a buck. How how what kind of emotions were you going through? Uh, you know, kind of during that, and then and then really we can carry that through because you were on a playoff team in 2018, mm-hmm. where kind of miracle things happened that you can't make up, and it was very similar in 2021 for football. But right. specifically that game, you're in the building watching your alma mater do something that I don't know. Did you think they had a fighting chance coming into it? You know, you never want to. Yeah, I mean, I guess on paper, you know, just the the, the outside person, you look at on paper, you're like, no, uh, ETSU is not supposed to stand a chance, but. As you know, and as we've seen, I mean, anything can happen, you know, especially when another team doesn't really come ready to play or takes another team for granted, you know. But, uh, yeah, I was in the box. Obviously, I was feeling really negative because, I mean, being at Vanderbilt at the time, we were trying to win, especially being Coach Lee's first first game, and mm-hmm. we're trying to establish the culture there. And, yeah, it's frustrating for sure. It kind of reminded me of that first year when we were at ETSU playing, you know. We uh, – lost to some, I guess, quote-unquote, lesser opponents, you know, um, trying to remember, Emory and Henry and Maryville College, where it's kind of that same situation, no disrespect to those programs, but on paper, you know, you're supposed to win. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I was not feeling not feeling really good at all that night. But, um, you know, for Vanderbilt's sake, it was uh, it kind of needed to happen for that program to kind of catch momentum a little bit, which uh, still kind of took a little bit. But, you know, it was one of those things that probably needed to happen. And on ETSU side, I mean, what a win for the program, you know, going in and beating an SEC opponent. You know, that's awesome. Did that come up again? What? The the ETSU win that you went to yes. ETSU? Yes. Yeah. Did uh, – oh, at, when I was at Vanderbilt or has it Yeah, when you were at Vanderbilt, yeah. Um, not really. It's kind of no. quiet. Yeah. Kind of quiet. <laughs> yeah. And luckily, we went out to Colorado State and won there, which was a big win for us. Yeah. And it kind of just – Yep. Yeah, so – but, no, it did get brought up last week here. Um, kind of addressed, <laughs> well, the, one th- addressed the elephant in the room. One and, thing on that <laughs> game, and then I'll, I'll move on. Karan DeLentz or Tyree Robinson, one of them was called for one of the Karan. worst pen- penalties of all time. Well, they yeah, called it on – when they announced it, they called it on <laughs> Robinson. So, I don't – and Robinson's been known to talk a little oh, bit. Yeah. I don't know if you oh, remember. Yeah, love so, it. I don't know if Tyree said some magic words he because I know Karan magically held the ball up right. in the air. But yeah. no. that – is that, <laughs> is that the, the worst – wiped out the pick six? Yes. Yeah. Is, oh! that not, is that not the one of the worst penalties? Uh, oh, I mean, yeah. looking back at it now, is that not one oh. of the worst penalties you've ever seen in your yeah, life? Yeah, no, it was – 
it was wild. I just I remember watching that. It was like in slow motion up in the box, but um, yeah. Okay, I'll leave you alone on that. <laughs> so um, you you've obviously I mean you've had some really great mentors. Your dad was a like you said a coach, great mentor to have if you want to go into coaching. Billy Taylor is a really good mentor yes. to have if you want to go into coaching. So you know what you took from those two. What'd you take from your time with Clark Lee and and the staff at Vanderbilt that you think is help prepare you for a moment like this one? Oh, so much. I mean, I mean, starting with Derek Mason's staff as well. You know, he's such a oh, bright, yeah. bright defensive mind. You know, getting to sit and listen to him and Ted Roof as well, who I worked for for a year, who's now at Oklahoma. Um, Jesse Minner, who's at Michigan now, worked for him with a year, and then Nick Howe, who came from Virginia and was at the um, BYU staff for a long time. So just those coordinators in general, you know, you get to just sit back and just listen and just soak it all up and just try to ask questions at the right time and, you know, just um, just kind of put your head down at work most of the time. But when you um, just try to dive in as far as just trying to learn and soak up their schemes and stuff like that, and as far as the head coaches go, you know, just – you both of them, Coach Mason and Coach Lee, and then kind of going back to ETSU too, Coach Torbush and Coach Sanders. So just mm-hmm. having to be around four of those head coaches that, you know, they've uh, they've seen success. They know what success looks like. They know what cultures are supposed to look like in, uh, in college football, you know, and just try to just soak it up as much as you can. So what about being back at ETSU at this particular time was so appealing to you? Uh, you know, it's – me personally, I was ready to coach position, like I yeah. said earlier. Yeah, I was ready to do that, kind of take that next step in my college coaching career. You know, I wanted to kind of coach a position, and it, it's it's crazy. That was with Coach Taylor calling. That was the first opportunity I've ever been offered as far as a position job, and for it to be here is so special because this place is so special to me. Um, the relationships I built here, um, the the times we had, and just living and growing and living, going through our college career in Johnson City, it was a great place to grow up and or go through our college career. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was so – it was um, – kind of kind of felt the stars align as far as that opportunity coming. Terminology and stuff, does that make it an easier transition too? Because, I mean, you were ingrained five years worth of Billy's yes. uh, techno- uh, te- terminology right. or technology, whatever he's got. Probably. Terminology <laughs> and what he wants and what's expect. Does that make it easier for you to help coach those positions? I'm sure he, he's tweaked stuff yeah, here and there. Yeah, they tweak some things, but kind of as – I mean, this right now, this time, this or kind of leading up to spring ball, we're kind of – talking through things and watching stuff from last year and just um yeah no it, the terminology definitely helps having being very familiar with it um obviously like you said they've they've tweaked some things but um and then just like always trying to find ways to improve because i mean you never want to stay the same as far as kind of how you coach things and what you, how you teach things but um, yeah, the terminology, is, it's made a smooth transition for these past couple of weeks for sure. You're not the only Commodore that made the, the trip from yes. Nashville to Johnson City. Talk about Kirk Gardner. Did, how much did you guys know, or did you help recruit him to here, or was he kind of on his own guy? You know, here? so uh, Kirk, so I met Kirk in 2021. So when Coach Lee's first staff got here, he worked with the running backs uh, the uh, past two years, 21 and 22. And, you know, being a young coach, uh, you kind of – grow close to those guys you spend time with them in the building all the time uh outside the building too um yeah i mean that guy he all he does is work he got the most energy i've ever seen on the practice field as far as um kind of coaching his position you know you can you can really sense and tell that he cares about the his guys when he's when he's coaching them and he cares he's got so much such a good passion for the game and um yeah and as far as kind of getting him here i um it kind of worked out they uh coached Coral's new Norval McKenzie, who's now at Georgia Tech, who 
Kirk had worked for. I believe he called him and kind of reached out just to see if he uh, had any um, connections on any kind of running back. We can talk to Kirk about this later, kind of how it unfolded. But I remember he shot me a text and had mentioned that he, Coach Quarles had reached out to him and stuff like that. And I was, I was fired up for him because he was kind of in the same boat. We were both kind of looked for that first opportunity to coach a position and stuff like that. But yeah, no, Kirk's a great guy, and you'll get to know him once you start talking to him and stuff. But, yeah, we're going to try him on a little later. So did he get offered before you did? Um, I'm not sure officially when it offered, um, when they offered him the position. But um, as far as it, it all happened kind of pretty fast and probably within a week span. I don't remember. I, yeah, as far as official, I'm not mm -hmm. really sure. But I know it was kind of happening at the same time for sure. All right, Austin, let me ask you this. Let's go back to uh, you personally playing days because – you know, we got a lot of Buck fans, especially that 2018 team that is is going to live in its own right, in its own entity. 2021, you know, you could argue maybe best in school history, most wins, all that other stuff. But everyone seems to still talk about 2018 always comes back to that. What is your favorite memory of that or your favorite memory of just the five years being a player here? You know, probably favorite memory for me was that run in 2018 because it made all those previous – three or four years that we were here, you know, it made it all worth it. Um, yeah, no, that run, because, I mean, every, if, I don't remember the exact scores, but, I mean, there were one-score games almost every win we had, so they were down to the wire, you know, and um, just those celebrations in the locker room with dudes you spent so much time with. Um, kind of a lot, I don't remember the exact number of guys that kind of got there in 14 and finished it out, but there was a good amount of them, and just kind of taking a step back and kind of, embracing everything that you went through leading up to the, that that fall of 2018 that's kind of really what made it so special is just kind of going through it early and then seeing it kind of come to uh come to light at the end so keith was in fargo <clears throat> at that time and i he, he would frequently being an e-tissue alone would, would have right. me on like and a couple of times be like hey what, what's the difference in the team in 18 versus all the others and my description of it and i'm curious to get your thoughts was because you guys had been through something that hardly anybody else had been through, and then you went through a coaching change. So not only had you started a career four years with one coach and in your fifth year you got another and it's a new system and it's a whole different ordeal, but it got to the point where it felt like you guys were just in a situation where it was like you were just going to will yourself because of all the other things outside of that that had happened to get a victory or lead uh, you know, right. these – miraculous comebacks right no i didn't yeah like you said it's like all those things leading up i mean we had a group of guys that were hungry for the for wins you know and we didn't have many going kind of going through our career but you know we were kind of willing to do whatever it took and you know we were kind of going through those tough things together you know you build such a strong bond with you know all those guys and i was talking to coach morrow earlier it's like he's asking if i stay in touch with a lot of guys and you know, I was telling him even the guys that I hadn't talked to in a year or so, I could see them tomorrow, and it'd be like we never missed a beat. So, like, that's kind of how special I felt like our locker room was once we left and kind of that culture. But, yeah, going through those hard things together kind of definitely calloused that bond we had for sure. I know for a lot of people um, in 18, I mean, the, the run obviously stands out. Um, you know, the win over Mercer at, late in the year, the triple overtime win against Western Carolina. Yeah. For me, it was the Furman game at the very beginning of it when they make a change at quarterback, Austin comes in, and the, the whole team just seems to come alive. What do you remember about that game against Furman in 18, and how much of a, a turning point was that, not just for that team in that moment, but for this entire program to, to really feel like, hey, 
we got a chance to be as good as we believe we could be when we stepped on campus. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that that game was that game was wild. You know, probably my. <laughs> I don't remember too much of it, but uh, the biggest thing I remember is when they had a player, I think he took a knee, I think, on the one-yard line or so. And yeah. I don't remember the Dewan score. Bell to two, yes, on correct. The, on the kick, correct. It was a kickoff return, yeah. It, it's, it was the first year they changed the rule where you could yes. call for the fair catch, and I think the freshman got confused right. oh, yeah. and just and took, sure. the took knee. a knee. Right. Yeah. yeah, I remember that, and then we ended up getting a safety after, and uh, you could yep. feel the momentum swing, and that's kind of the biggest memory I have from that game. But, no, I mean, just kind of in general, yeah, I mean – um, just I, I don't remember if that was the first game we kind of had where we battled back. It was a tight one. I don't remember that. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, once you do it once, you're like, okay, we can. You know, we're never out of the fight. You know, especially in a one-score game, and that was definitely probably a momentum booster for us for sure. Yeah, yeah, you did have to battle back against VMI. Yep. the game before, but like that really felt like the moment where when Herrick came in, it just seemed like, I, I don't know if it was, and you were his roommate and you, you know, dumped granola bars on his upside down <laughs> mattress. So, like, I mean, you know, the guy better than anybody. What, what was it about him that just kind of, I don't know, gave that team the spark they needed to, to get going? Yeah. I mean, some, I mean, you even saw it in that national championship game a few years ago with Alabama, just, just kind of a change of momentum yeah. when they pulled uh, Jalen Hurts and put two in. I mean, and both great quarterbacks, same here. I mean, Logan and Austin were both great quarterbacks. Just sometimes you need that little jump start, you know, and it just so happened to work out. But, yeah, I mean, both of those guys, I mean, Austin, um, even when he wasn't starting, he was acting like the starter. You know, like you're, he handled that, that situation like you're supposed to. And then um, even when they made the switch, Logan was the same way. You know, he was supportive. He was a great um, teammate. And that's, I think that's what made that work was the culture between those two guys, which was good. Which you look at now, and Logan Marsh is still on staff. Right down the hall, yeah. <laughs> yeah just kidding. Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously, it's, and, I, and I talked to Logan about this a little bit just for the fact of it was no fault of his, but like because of all you guys battled for four or five years, I keep going back. There were just things that people didn't understand and, and things that were going through. And I remember just even guys that had were playing and then got out recruited mm-hmm. and weren't playing that were acting like coaches that year. I, you know, I remember Corey Colder was getting some yep. playing time and then got none virtually. Matter of fact, he joked. I said, why do you wear a hat? And he's like, buddy, I don't even take my homework because I'm not getting in. I have no shot of getting in. Now he's a, now he's a running backs coach he's at Furman, Furman actually. Yeah. But Corey said, but I could help us win. Like, I know what we're supposed to be doing. I can help Quay Holmes, who was a right. freshman here. I can help, you know, Jacobs. I can help these guys figure out right. what they're supposed to be doing, how to do it, all that. So – that to me was was a little bit of that that bond too that like somebody like Logan who was obviously very talented arm wise and could run around a little bit you know there would just sometimes the fit like if Logan would have came earlier right I mean he could have been that guy I, I think it was just one yeah, of those situations for sure but, and then um, yeah and then like you yeah I mean core being I mean I'm trying to remember the exact number we got several guys on that that kind of came through here in the, in or around that class that are in college football now coaching or and some kind of operations side. I mean, Corey is at Furman. Dylan Dockery uh, is at Georgia Tech, I believe. Jared Folks is out at Nebraska now. Um, Bryce Huber's in coaching as well. Uh, Austin's out in Austin's Tucson. Austin's out in Arizona, yep. Um, so, like, a bunch of – I mean, that just kind of speaks to guys that, you know, they can put the team first and, you know, and, yeah. Sounds like you're excited to be back. Very excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you back. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Austin. Appreciate it. We appreciate you stopping by, and uh, maybe later in the year I'll get some more Austin Herring stories from yep. you. Yep, I pulled the, the – I still got my phone. I got some pictures. So. <laughs> oh, no. I would be very cautious <laughs> with Statue that. of limitations. you got to get that going. <laughs> 
All right, that'll put a wrap on the show. Good That's show. That's great. Appreciate Austin uh, stopping by. Again, we kind of ran the gamble. We had some sad news off the top. Then we went into SoCon alignment, which we probably went more on a tangent or SoCon. We did, uh, but that's what you're here for. Supplemental content, baby. And then uh, then we talked a little SoCon uh, basketball. I know we didn't we didn't actually break down ETSU West Carolina, but we can talk about it afterwards. We'll talk about yeah. it tomorrow. We'll talk about ETSU women's basketball. A lot going on uh, with the pod, so we'll have that going. And a big thanks again to Austin Gatewood. Good to have him back. I can't believe he didn't bring up the Tyree Adams third overtime uh, breaking up the pass. I'll have to, uh, you know. I thought for sure that would. I thought well, I you can yell at him about it later. Well, he's yeah. still sitting in the green room. That's you can probably right. go get that's him. Fine. Well, and I mean, I know where he works. He's like he's down the hallway. So, you know, that's all right. Plus, I can't wait to hear some Austin Herring stories. Yeah. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of Jane Keith. We'll be back tomorrow. Another episode. Bye, guys. Run out, work basketball. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! <laughs> <laughs>